Roberta, when I turn 93, I hope a choir will sing something like that for me on my birthday as well. Would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? The gospel according to St. John. We are in chapter 6 uh, this month of August, uh, beginning at verse 35 and then skipping down to verse 41 and following. Now hear the word of God. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Most of us enjoy action movies. But even when you go to an action movie, every once in a while you have to endure some dialogue. And when we go to an action movie, we just sort of put up with that part. It doesn't make too much difference. We know we're going to suffer through it, but let's get on back to the action. If you wanted an action movie in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would be better to read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark, particularly, bam, 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 bam. I mean, Jesus is just action. He's all action. There's not a whole lot of conversation in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John, however, is a, a gospel uh, that is a different animal, and John has action in it, but John loves conversation. And if you're going to read John, you're going to wade through a lot of conversation. Uh, John chapter 6, for instance, which we've been in for a couple of weeks now, uh, it begins with the feeding of the 5,000. And right after that, uh, Jesus walks on the water. But then after that, there are 60 long verses 
of conversation. And, you know, most of us are kind of going, let's flip on through to get through John 6 and get to John 7 and John 8. But, but you find out that it, every, the rest of John is like this as well. John 6, uh, the conversation is all about Jesus. Who is he anyway? It is good conversation, but it's difficult conversation. Uh, frankly, the church for uh, the last 2,000 years has been continuing to kind of ask the same question. Uh, conversation about Jesus can be uh, very stimulating. It can also sometimes be uh, hypnotically dull. And I will leave it up to you to decide which way this sermon ends up before we are over with it. I think that nothing can be more stimulating, nothing should be more stimulating and inspiring and edifying than, uh, than healthy and, and rich conversation about who Jesus is. John Newton, um, who we know best because he wrote Amazing Grace, also wrote a very beautiful hymn about Jesus uh, in which uh, the lyrics include these lines about Jesus. He is my shepherd, my brother, my friend, my prophet, priest, and king, my Lord, my life, my way, my end. I, I wish that hymn were in our hymnal. I'd love to sing that hymn, uh, the, the richness, the fullness about who Jesus is. And so I really kind of want to ask you this morning, as, as you think about uh, Jesus, um, uh, who is he? Is, is there for you a sense that he is multifaceted? Uh, is there a sense that uh, he is exalted, but sometimes even puzzling and maybe just a little bit confounding? I am afraid that in some ways we in the church have turned Jesus almost into a, a cardboard cutout. You, you know what I'm talking about? Did any of you ever go out to the mall or someplace? And, or, of course, you do it online now, but, you know, you bought one of these life-size uh, cardboard cutouts of uh, your favorite president? Yeah, you don't have to say which one it was. Um, but, but you, you know, I, I think in some ways... Uh, um, we have almost turned Jesus into something like that. We have made him a talking point, devoid of life uh, and uh, devoid of any appeal. In the sixth chapter of John, he says, I'm, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread who has come down from heaven if you if you uh, eat of this flesh if you eat of me you'll never be hungry you'll never again be thirsty this incredible poetic richness but we see in this conversation that the crowd didn't quite get it they couldn't quite get it and 
the reason they couldn't quite get it was that they knew part of Jesus, but they didn't know all of him. And so they ask this question. I'm, I'm dealing this month in, in four questions. Uh, each week I'm focusing my sermon around a question. Last week their question was, what sign are you going to show us? This week their question is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I've come down from heaven? Of course, our, I suppose our first tendency, we who have, many of us lived our life in the church, we, our first tendency is to say about those people, what a pack of dummies. I, I mean, you and I have been to Sunday school. Some of us have Sunday school pins to show we've, our attendance. We, we know that Jesus is both divine and human, right? We know he is son of God and son of man. We, every week, stand and we say, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. We have been taught to say and to learn and to know uh, Christ died for my sins and the sins of the world. And so we want to look at those people and we say, what dummies they are not to have figured this out. But I want to defend them again just a little bit this week. Those people did know Jesus. Some of them had perhaps changed his diapers when he was a little boy. Some of them saw him when his two front teeth were missing. Some of them saw him running around town with a little backpack on his shoulders, just like we've seen these children here beautiful today. Some of them knew what side of the railroad tracks Jesus was born on. They did know him. They were familiar with him. It was in their very familiarity that they had the trouble. They had reduced him and simplified him to what they already knew about him. They'd put him in a box. And a part of my suspicion is that over the centuries, the, the church has also somewhat carelessly simplified Jesus. You and I think we know who he is. And in our familiarity, uh, we then fight over uh, my simplification of Jesus is better than your simplification of Jesus. And we can pull out our religious doctrines and our religious words and our concepts, and, and they sort of become like uh, lightsabers in, in Star Wars where we want to do battle with each other. I know Star Wars is 40 years old, but that's what you get when you get an old preacher. <laughs> if I use Jesus as a battering ram, how is that befitting of the gospel? Paul says to the Ephesians, we're all members of one another. Make no room for the devil. 
if I'm going to use my simplification of Jesus to tear down your simplification of Jesus, we've all lost in that. We've just beat one another up. I understand doctrine. The church needs doctrine and dogma. Those are not bad words. Doctrine helps me know that I'm Christian and not Hindu. Doctrine helps me know that I'm Protestant and not Catholic. Doctrine helps me to understand lots of things. But if I get so amped up about doctrine that I've simplified Jesus and elevated uh, one part of him, even uh, a true part of him, uh, and, and I just focus on that over and over again disastrously, then I have lost all meaning of the gospel. Or as the Apostle Paul says, if I have all knowledge and all faith, but have not love, I am, what's the last word? Nothing. I can hear that through your masks. So knowledge and faith and, and doctrine and all of those things without love, I'm nothing. These are impatient times. Flight, uh, boy, I don't need to talk about flight attendants. Uh, uh, we've got some here who could, who could talk about it far better than I can, but the Wall Street Journal says uh, complaints uh, at airports are up 25 times over two years ago. You saw the video. They duct taped a passenger to his seat last week in an airplane. We United Methodists are impatient too. We are on our own flight, and that flight has had some turbulence, and, and our destination has been in a holding pattern for a, a, a while, and there are members and whole churches who want to jump off this plane right now. The first thing some of us have jettisoned is the biblical virtue of patience. Lord, maybe maybe good Lord needs to bring duct, duct tape and duct tape all of us to our pews right now. As in many disagreements, we Methodists don't always even agree what we're disagreeing about. But it might help if we humbly remembered that Jesus is larger than my concept and my simplification or larger than your simplification as well. Our squabbles remind me of the Baptist church fight in tiny Shiloh, Georgia. I'm so grateful the bishop appointed me there up in Harris County. I got all kinds of sermon illustrations from Shiloh, Georgia. That was the church that was so small that one Sunday they didn't have anybody come but me. I told you that a few weeks ago. But that town, as small as it was, had two Baptist churches. You know why, don't you? There was a fight. 
They used to have only one Baptist church there, but they got in a, in a down and dirty fight, and the losing side, all sides lose in a church fight, but the losing side went down the street and started a new Baptist church. Guess what they named it? Harmony Baptist. I never knew what the fight was about. It happened before I came, but I'll bet I know who they blamed. The fight is usually over money or power, but Jesus is the one that gets blamed because we don't really like to let it be known that we're fighting over money or power or anything else like that, so we blame it on Jesus. I'm fighting for Jesus. And if we fight for Jesus, we'd be as mean as snakes because we're fighting for him, we say. I'm calling us to get beyond our familiarity with Jesus. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me. To recognize that the Jesus who you and I think we know is probably only part of the Jesus that is presented in the Gospels. We have lots of portraits and paintings and prints of Jesus in this church. I'm grateful for that. I mean, 14 in this sanctuary, 12 along the sides of these two walls and two more up there. There are paintings of Jesus everywhere in this church. It's beautiful. I am glad to be in a church where the pictures of Jesus are on the wall and the pictures of the pastors are locked up in the historical room. Most churches, you find the pictures of the pastors on the wall. We've got the right person on our walls in Jesus. But I got to confess to you that I like some of the pictures out there in the, in the rest of the bill. I like some of the pictures better than others. Some of them are more appealing to me than others, um, but they're all of Jesus. The, the, probably the area in the church that gets me the most is on the second floor of the education building in a large area overlooking the courtyard. In that large space uh, hangs on the wall a print and 10 paces away a stained glass window. I love the stained glass window, not so much the print. The print is that famous print of Jesus. He's pretty bronzed. Uh, looks like he's maybe bent. Well, no, I just be, I'm going to be kind. I just don't like it. His hair is real long. He's looking sideways. He's got a kind of a dreamy glance. His eye is gazing up somewhere. And it just, to me, it just doesn't. It doesn't quite jibe with who I think of Jesus. On the stained glass window, however, uh, Jesus is sitting. A child is in his lap. There are seven children around him from all over the world. And the uh, words of the stained glass window say, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. I guess what I want to say is, both of those depictions of Jesus are a part of who he is. 
And you might like one better than another. You might not like either of them. Maybe your favorite picture of Jesus is in this room or in another hallway. But here in the church, we hold all of those together and we say that the Jesus I know and love is, is bigger than who I think he is and I've got to grant that he's bigger than who you think he is as well. I'm praying that we all might grasp what the Gospel of John calls um, his fullness, fullness of Jesus, that we have all received it. The prologue says, grace upon grace. Is he not the son of Joseph? Well, yeah, he is. But that's not all. Is he not Lord and Savior? Well, sure he is. But that doesn't say everything about him. Is he not priest, prophet, king? Well, yes. Is he not friend of sinners? Well, yes. Is he not the giver of of a new law, but the one who broke or didn't break the old law? Well, yes. His fullness. Not to be caught up in a cardboard cutout or an oversimplification. What I'm simply inviting you and me to experience or to re-experience is the Jesus who is soul-stirring, life-changing, loyalty-demanding, stereotype-busting, mind-expanding, sin-exploding, heart-enlarging, and eternity-including. Jesus Jesus, Jesus, sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go.